Mac Power Users, Episode 612, Mac OS Monterey and MacBook Pro Impressions. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. And I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. I'm tired. So much stuff. So much yeah. Mac news. That's crazy lately, isn't it? It really is. I mean, it's all like very exciting, but it's a oh, lot. Oh man, I just like this. We're rec- okay. Here's some behind the scenes stuff, gang. We're recording this on Monday, the day that all the reviews drop for the new MacBook Pros. And I woke up today at like seven and just watched them for an hour. Watched them read. <laughs> You know, and then we're going to time travel to later in this week after Stephen has had one for a couple of days. You're not going to hear us. We're going to talk about MacBook Pros, but only after Stephen's had one. Mine, uh, thanks to partly all of the people in the forums, is not now not going to come until December. We can talk about that later too if you want. But the um, Stephen's getting one this week, so we'll have on the ground time traveling and experience with it before the end of the show today. But anyway, it's it's a very exciting day, so that's fun. In fact, we're going to do that for more more power users today. We're going to talk about the computers that we wanted the most, the ones we were most eager to get in our lifetime. And this is not limited to just Apple products, Stephen. So I don't know what that means for you, but (laughs) I I got some thoughts. I mean, I really want one of those like cool original Pixar render computers. You know, that looks like it's made out of sandstone, but. Okay, but wait, let me just be clear for the rules. I know that you have a lot of shows that involve rules, but this one... I do like the, I do like the, rules. This More Power Users is not about like the epic computer museum computer you're looking for, you know, one that represented an age, because I know you have those too. We'll do that someday. But this is the one like in real time when it came out, you were willing to sell a kidney to get it, you know, that kind of computer. And okay. uh, so we're going to talk good. about those. Uh, also, before we get into it today, I am going to be doing a webinar about uh, focus mode and how I use it. But I'm still working with a couple people that are helping me to figure out exactly when that will be. It's going to be probably seven to 10 days after this show publishes. So we'll put a link in the show notes. I'll have it all set up by the time the show publishes. I don't know when it's going to be. My guess is it'll be like next Wednesday or next Thursday as the show publishes. But the um, I've been spending a lot of time with Focus, but we're going to talk about it today too. But I'm going to do a webinar to show you exactly how I'm using it. So if you're curious about that, it's free. Come in and check it out. Okay. So we have uh, a couple of orders of business today. Uh, we have the new MacBook Pros, like you said, but also we're recording this as macOS Monterey, macOS 12 is rolling out. So we're going to kind of do our, uh, our annual tradition of talking about macOS Monterey. And, you know, you've always listened to Mac Power Users as a podcast, but one of the things David and I are going to begin to experiment with is a Mac Power Users YouTube channel. So for now, it is basically episodes of the show uploaded to YouTube, but we do have some plans to do some other things. And so this is totally experimental, totally like not committing to anything major at this point, just kind of feeling it out. So uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to, uh, to go check that out. Yeah, so we have a YouTube channel. And I think one of the things I'm curious about is taking small bits of the show that are particularly useful or helpful and doing some kind of like maybe animation behind them or just, you know, a screencast or something to show what we're explaining 
uh, where they would be small snippets of show on YouTube. And we're going to put that all into that one feed as we figure it out. And if you guys have ideas, the forums is a great place to let us know. Just understand we can't do every idea. A lot of people have ideas. We got to figure it out. But um, that's something that we're starting. And it's kind of fun with a show that's now, I think, something like 12 years old. <laughs> I don't know how old we are now. But, the uh, um, you know, that we're coming up with some new stuff. So check it out. All right. So let's get into uh, into Mac OS. Like I said, we, we cover all these new releases. They are annual. So we get to do it every fall. Uh, I've got some links in the show notes, just kind of general links about Monterey, including, uh, David, you had some thoughts on your blog about it, including a feature that I had totally missed with the tiled windows thing. So I want to talk about that. Okay, sure. Uh, we also have our friend John Voorhees. He does a review at Mac Stories every year. Uh, so that is in the show notes. And then I have updated my Mac OS screenshot library to include like, I don't even know how many it is, like 200 screenshots of Monterey pretty similar to big sur in terms of visuals but you know i like to keep that for historic reasons do you want to like kind of um spoil the ending real quick here because i have a thought that i think kind of overrides this whole conversation here i have a hypothesis okay go for it i i feel like this is a snow leopard year but apple is not saying that um when you look at the features they release and if, if for folks who are newer to the apple ecosystem uh you know Many years ago, Apple had the Leopard release, and they had after that what they called the Snow Leopard release. And they got on stage and said, this year, the new feature is there are no features. We spent the whole year fixing bugs and just kind of tuning things up. And it feels to me like they did they did add some features this year, but most of them are related to things that they added, like focus mode. But largely, they just made a ton of little quality of life improvements this year. There's nothing huge but it feels very much like a snow leopard year. I mean, the betas were really stable except for shortcuts, which is a new app. And, um, and we're, we've got a laundry list of little quality of life improvements that are showing up. They probably won't know until you go and, you know, find your way into them, but uh, they made Mac OS better this year without like going nuts with huge features. Is that a, what do you think? Is that a good hypothesis? I think it totally is. I mean, if you look through the the new features in macOS this year, almost all of them are also present on iOS and iPadOS. So a lot of the new stuff this year is further tying the ecosystem together. And you think about releases like High Sierra or El Capitan, you know, a bunch of releases over the last few years have been really focused on on that. And then you add on top of it, this is the second year of this new design. They've cleaned it up a little bit in a few places. So yeah, I think it's a it's a little bit of a slower year. I think that's totally fine. Uh, I think it also means that if you're looking to move to this OS pretty early on, then it's uh, a little bit less daunting than some other years. Where like Catalina broke, you know, compatibility with 32-bit apps forever. Uh, nothing at all that dramatic this time around. Yeah. And, and I really think that, um, this is a good thing. I mean, like I think for a few years they were trying to make the Mac kind of like a copy of the iPad and the, on the iOS operating system. I know you remember there were some really ugly years with user interface. Remember the, the yeah. leather and the contacts app stands yep. out for me. Uh, Mac, all of Mac OS 10 lion basically. Yeah. Yeah, but this isn't that. This is saying, okay, there are some things, like one of the features we're going to talk about today is 
um, the erase all content and settings button. That has been a button that has existed on iPhone and iPad forever. When you want to give your iPhone or your iPad to somebody, you go to settings and then you go to erase all content and settings. And you know, once you push that button, all your data is off the device. So you can just give it to somebody. Whereas on the Mac to do that, historically you had to go into recovery mode and you had to wipe out discs and then reinstall operating systems. It was actually something that a lot of people did not know how to do properly. So people were handing off Macs with a lot of data on it. They probably didn't want to have on it. And now they have a button erase all content on settings on the Mac. And we'll, we'll explain how to do it later, but that to me is like a really solid improvement that people can take advantage of immediately. I think another thing that that Apple wants to do with releases like this is make it where if you really like a feature on your iPhone or iPad, then you can just use that feature on your Mac as well. So something like focus modes to your webinar example earlier, they're now on the Mac, right? They've been on the iPhone and iPad for about a month now with iOS 15. They come over to the Mac. It's supposed to all sync with iCloud. Like Apple is really intent on bringing these features to all of its products more or less at the same time, you know, when they can. And so that means that if you are that type of user where you move between these different devices throughout your day or week, then you can really kind of like come to think about these OSs as really closely related. And they're more about the form factor than you know, than almost anything else, especially if you're an Apple Silicon Mac that can run straight up run iOS apps, right? Even your apps, your apps may be very similar or the same. Well, I would, I would argue with you though, on the point of like someone who's heavy into automation, like all of the terminal and Apple script and all that stuff that's on the Mac is still there, you know? So even though they are bringing over features and ideas from mobile, they are keeping, I think what inherently makes a Mac special intact so they're not like trying to like simplify the mac to be as easy as an ipad i think they're really trying to like honor what it is yeah but also you know let's smooth off some of the rough points like if a user wants to erase all their data don't make them do like three hard resets and um i think that is a i think it's a good thing honestly so that's kind of like some overall thoughts as we go through the features today if you're listening think about that and see if you agree or disagree that, that I think we really are dealing with something here this year that, that isn't revolutionary, but it's, it's evolutionary in a very specific direction. Mm-hmm. So, so what, uh, Max, can you get this on at this point? Where does, does, uh, Monterey fit? Yeah. So the list is slightly shorter than big, Sur. A- Apple tends to move system requirements, uh, about every two to three years, you know, we'll see how that holds up. I'm very curious to see how it holds up in the app you know once we're all in the apple silicon world but yeah for now uh it, it's every few years so uh you need uh early 2016 or later macbook so the first generation little 12 inch macbook is uh, not supported uh macbook air and macbook pro you need early 2015 and later mac mini you need late 2014 and later uh, the iMac is the same as the other notebook, so uh, late 2015 or later. So that does catch um, the uh, the first Retina 5K. The 2014 is no longer supported. Uh, the iMac Pro, of course, is only one of those in 2017. 
and then the 2013 or 2019 Mac Pro. That one hasn't changed in a while. That Mac Pro, the trash can, is the oldest machine on this list by a year. I suspect that it will go next time they shorten this list, but you know, the Mac Pro is always so far ahead of everything else in terms of specs. I guess they feel like it's got more more headroom and they were only yeah. selling they were selling it until what two and a half years ago so yeah, <laughs> it's uh the date you know it's a whole world of hurt in there so it is a slightly shorter list if you have found that your mac is now at the end of the road you still get a couple years of security updates so it's not like apple is cutting you off and leaving you on big Sur. If there is a security issue with big Sur, they'll address it uh safari 15 has already come to big Sur. And so just because you're at the end of the road doesn't mean that you've got to rush out and buy a Mac today, even though it's a really good time to buy a Mac, if at least if you're interested in a notebook. Uh, but I kind of view this as like, you know, now's the time to maybe start planning, start thinking about, hey, in the next couple of years, you're going to be out of out of software updates in, in terms of security. And that's a place, you know, I really don't recommend that anyone finds themselves in. Yeah, I agree. And, and honestly, I think, like I think there's two tracks here. I think that the Apple Silicon Macs are going to be supported for a long time. I mean, granted, they're only a year old now, so of course they would be. But I'm just kind of using the iPad analogy that they'll run a long time. And they're so powerful. But the the Intel Macs, I really believe that they are going to see a dramatic decrease in value over the next year. Um, if you're a person who just runs your Mac until it just doesn't work anymore and then you recycle it, that's fine. It doesn't bother you, right? Just do the same thing. And then when your Mac runs out of gas, you can get a new Apple Silicon. If you're somebody, and that's like me with cars, right? I, I get a car, I drive it until the wheels fall off and then I just you know put the wheels on and try and drive it some more. I'm not a guy who upgrades my car every you know decade practically. Usually I can get 15 years out of a car. Um, but the, uh, but when it comes to computers, I, I am, as the forums have been discussing me lately, I am definitely somebody who does not, um, hold on to computers for 10 years. Um, if you're somebody who wants to sell a computer to buy an upgrade, I do think the Intel machines are going to start to see a decrease in value here pretty soon because these new Apple Silicon machines are just smoking them. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right about that. If you're holding on to an Intel machine and you, you know, it's one thing if you're waiting for like the new big iMac or something, but as this continues to progress, as we get further into this new era, I think you're totally right. And it's what happened with PowerPC to Intel. I mean, the the market on PowerPC, like G4s and G5s just fell out after the Intel Macs got good. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, so we've got support back as far as 2013 for Mac Pro, uh, 2015 for MacBook Air, 2016 for MacBook uh, the little MacBook. Sorry, sorry, you're gone. And then the uh, the iMac back to 2015. That's not so bad, you know. No. All right. Uh, it's always a software update, so we have to take a minute to genuflect and talk about backup. Let's do that right now. Yeah. So you you definitely want to have your data safe and secure somewhere else. You know, Apple's gotten really good at these updates over the years, but things can go wrong. You're it's doing a lot of stuff. Uh, episode 499 of the show is about backups. And uh, I skimmed that episode over the weekend and pretty happy with how it's held up. Uh, Time Machine is always your first line of defense. And then with something like this, I also recommend if you have a second external drive, 
you can use something like Carbon Copy Cloner to have a uh, a full copy of your data, you know, then unplug it, set it aside, just in case something goes sideways and you need to to make some sort of recovery. Yeah, I, I want to spend your money here. You can get a spinning disk hard drive of terabytes in size for less than $100. And whenever you do an update like this, it really makes a lot of sense to just get one stick in a drawer for like four or five months. Don't, you know, just don't use it anymore. And if you ever discover there was a problem, you can always recover. And most people are not going to need that between time machine. And you're probably using Dropbox and other things. You're going to find data that you, you know, worried about losing it. But I really like the security blanket of having one extra copy of all my data in a drawer after a major operating system update. Um, any compatibility stuff we should be worried about with the update to Monterey this year? It's definitely not a situation like we had a couple of years ago with Catalina, which again, a large collection of software was no longer compatible. In my running Monterey all summer on my laptop, the only thing I had trouble with was some professional audio apps. And so I, I my, my recommendation is the same every year. You know, look through what your sort of unusual tools may be uh, and you know just check in with the developers most most all mac developers have a page on their website or a blog post like hey we're ready or hey we're not ready or they may share it on social media or something but other than like i said some high-end audio stuff you know all of my communication apps my task manager my rss reader devin think like i had no problems this year and in some ways it's it was actually one of the smoothest beta seasons that i've had in a long time yeah i had the same experience the only two apps i had trouble in were uh, audio hijack uh, which is got an audio codec they have to rewrite every year and it was just a question of it wouldn't run until they fixed that and they did uh you know well before the beta turned into the general release so that app already works fine and then um of all apps final cut was giving me weird problems with color grading and um i I think i sent you some videos at one point it was just doing really weird stuff in the earlier betas but they've updated final cut they fixed it so um as i sit here um installing the new uh the public release after we get off the call today i don't expect i'm going to have any problems yeah it's been it's been smooth sailing but we should say, you know, we always have to say this, right? Um, let's say you've got your Mac hooked up to a 1987 laser printing machine that does specialized T-shirt overlays or something. You know, you've got some custom hardware or you've got some custom app that was written for you by a third-party developer. Or you've got some weird thing going on. Uh, I would absolutely test it out on a non-production machine before I installed the update on your production machine. I mean, that kind of, I almost feel like we should stop saying that. I mean, it's like, don't be a dummy, right? (laughs) Yep. Uh, That's good advice. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by our friends over at Smile, the makers of Text Expander, which is now up to version 7, a beautiful redesign that you should go check out. You can learn more at textexpander.com slash podcast and get 20% off while you're there. Text Expander lets you and your team be more consistent, accurate, and current. You can share text and images with your entire staff to keep everyone on track 
so everyone can share the same messages with clients, with vendors, gives you a level of consistency you just can't have any way else. So your people can work faster and smarter. Use Text Expander to do things like speeding up abbreviations. So in, instead of typing out your full address, type an abbreviation at all, autofills, and uh, you're good to go. And just a, a few keystrokes and not the whole thing. This keeps your team communicating efficiently with consistent language. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, everywhere you want to be. And like I said, the new version, version 7, y'all, it is such a, a nice update. I've really been enjoying it. Uh, they've redesigned it. It feels much more modern. It looks really great. And they have simplified the usage of a lot of the specialty tools within Text Expander. So fill-ins and keyboard macros, cursor macros are easier than ever to use. Check it out at textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more and show listeners get 20% off their first year. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast. Okay, I said at the beginning there weren't a lot of new features, but really there's just a lot of features, but they're kind of small. So let's let's dig in on them. Uh, what's one of your favorites? Uh, one of my, my favorites I actually haven't been able to use yet. So this is a theoretical favorite. Okay. But universal control. And they, yeah. they demoed this at WBDC. So I'm sitting at my Mac and I have my iPad off to the side. You already can do the thing with Sidecar where your iPad becomes external display. And you and I were talking offline that you have kind of fallen into that as being a pretty good routine for you. Yeah. But what universal control is, it keeps your iPad running iPad OS, right? But I can use the same keyboard and mouse or trackpad and just slide the cursor off the edge of my Mac display and it picks up on the iPad. And then I'm controlling my iPad with the same input devices. Uh, this is coming later. It's not an iOS 15. It's been in and out of the Monterey betas and the public release. It's not there, but they do say it's coming. And I think that's going to be, uh, I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah. And not only can you control these external devices, it could be a laptop or a, or an iPad or I guess a phone, but not only can you control them with your keyboard and mouse and trackpad, but you can also seamlessly move data between them. Like you could go into the Safari browser on your Mac and grab data and pull it across the screen into your Mac or a graphic image or, you know, it just, it just really solves the problem of moving data between two devices as easily as just reaching over and grabbing it. And, you know, it's not done yet. I, I really hope it's awesome, but we'll wait and see. That's the closest to headline feature I think we really have this year. Yep. But, it, but it's not done yet. <laughs> not done. <laughs> uh, just on, on that point about Sidecar, though, I and maybe I should do this on a feedback episode, but I really have gotten in the habit of like when I'm recording now, I keep my iPad uh, propped up at the, below my monitor instead of on the side. So it's just right below. And like when I'm recording a screencast, I can have notes on what I'm recording down there. When I'm recording a podcast, I can have all my recording tools down there. And it's actually very convenient. So, you know, Sidecar, I know we talked about that in years past, but I feel like it's really kind of evolved and a lot more stable than it was when it first started. But that is not a new feature. Mm -mm. Uh, a new feature, though, that I'm interested in, but I can't quite get my head around. And we talked about this on the iOS 15 show is QuickNote. 
And so they they added it to the Mac as well. And on the Apple Pencil, I mean, on the iPad, what you do is you just swipe up from the lower right with your Apple Pencil. It creates a quick note. And the thing that's most intriguing for me about this feature is that it creates a contextual link to whatever you're working in. Like if you're on a web page, it creates a link to that page. And then you can write notes about it. And then you can go in your notes app and click the button and go right back to the page. But it doesn't just work with websites. It also works with app locations. And it's a very, um, you know, contextual computing type of feature. And they, uh, it needs to be on the Mac if it's going to work. It needs to be on all platforms. To work it with on the Mac, you just put the mouse in the lower right corner and you click and it shows up. Um, and it puts a, a note in the center of your screen or sort of centered. And then it does the same thing. It, it gives you an, a contextual link to whatever you're currently in and it syncs across to your iPhone and iPad. So it's got the same feature set across all platforms, which I think is absolutely necessary for something like this. And I've been using it off and on throughout the beta. Now, I will admit that for me, it feels like it's too constrained. Um, you know, it only works with the current link that you're in. Like, what if I want to add a link to something? Like, what if I say, well, I also want this to link to this file. Because this is made by Apple, I feel like they have a unique opportunity to really go crazy with this. You know, we had Luke on the show like six months ago to talk about uh, cognitive science and contextual computing and how as, as you know, barely evolved monkeys, if we can find a way to, to tie everything together, we're going to do our work better. And Apple, this is, this is to me almost like a toe dipping it's, or maybe the foot, you know, when you go in the pool and you put your foot on the top step, that's what this is. And I want them to dive in, you know, I want to be able to grab files. I want to, you can work with emails sort of, and, and I want there to be a way to like get into these from any direction. I, I just feel like this is a start, but this is not a finish. If Apple thinks this is a finish, this feature will never be useful enough for me. I also find it a little weird because on iPad OS, like QuickNote has this like special place because it's this window that can do things that other multitasking windows can't necessarily do. But on the Mac, every window is like a free floating window already. Yeah. And so that's a little weird to me. I also found it just sort of unusual the way that you manage it in terms of where quick note comes in from is in hot corners and system preferences. I looked yeah. forever because I don't use Apple notes very much. I've, I've moved everything to craft and I'm really happy with that. Yeah. And I kept like, okay, every time I take my <laughs> cursor to the bottom, right. Uh, where I keep messages on both of my computers is in the bottom right hand corner. I keep pulling quick note up. And so I'd like text John Voorhees, who was writing the Mac stories review. And I was like, Hey, where is this? And turns out, turns out it's in hot corners on, uh, yeah, it's just some preferences, but I don't know. I, I feel like, like I'm glad it's here. I think having more contextually aware things on the Mac is good, but I also feel like, yeah, this really out of all of this stuff, this one to me feels most like, Oh, this is a thing that was on the iPad and now we've stuck it on the Mac too. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be uncharitable toward it, but it's kind of, kind of how I feel. I think the sentiment is right. I just think that the, you know, the cookies aren't done baking yet. And, and I hope that this is a first start, you know, I mean, this could go two directions, you know, sometimes Apple will add a feature like this and say, okay, we did it. You know I mean? Exhibit A is the touch bar. Um, or this could be like Apple notes where it got a little better than a lot better. And then it continued to get better every year. And like, if this takes that track and this is related to Apple notes, so maybe it will, 
um, I could see this becoming something really useful. And the fact that it works across all platforms, I mean, just for contextual computing ideas, this is something I think a lot about. And I really think that it really needs the platform vendor being involved in it makes a lot of sense because they can do things that nobody else can. And then suddenly you can tie it to shortcuts and do all these other cool things with it that an, a third party developer just isn't going to have access to. So I really hope that there's a team inside Apple that is banging these drums and trying to get more money and resources into growing this feature. Cause like, call me Apple. If you got a question, I could give you a list. You know, I, I know exactly at least what the next steps would be, maybe not the final product would. I, I think you could make this really a remarkable feature. And the fact that it works across all devices um, would, I think it could change the way a lot of people use Apple hardware. Um, maybe I'm just too optimistic, but I, I really do think there's something here. I just hope that, you know, there's the will at Apple to make it happen. Mm -hmm. While we're talking about notes, it did get a, uh, some other new features. So the tagging system from iOS is now on the Mac and yeah, you get yeah, this should have cool, been there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you get this cool activity view. So if you're sharing a note and you're editing like in real time, you get a little history timeline that you can open up on the right side of the window uh, just like in Google Docs or a, a lot of other uh, collaborative tools. So I can see basically who did what, when. So you have a, a trail of receipts when you see whoever, you know, messed up the show notes that week. There you go. <laughs> I, Rose and I just recently did a, a test episode of Automators that we 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 made in Apple Notes. And it, it still does not Google Docs no. for collaboration. And like when you're in the middle of the show and you want to make changes, it's just not fast enough. But yeah. I think for a lot of people, like notes that Daisy and I share, you know, Christmas lists and whatnot, it's going to be fine. And this is a appreciated feature, but uh, they have not got to Google Docs level simultaneous typing that, you know, that Google's so good at. Yeah. In fact, 100% of the things in Apple Notes for me are shared with my spouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that they really are even trying to make it Google Docs, though. You know, I think no. in, in some way, I think maybe the target is more like Evernote, where you can drop any kind of multimedia in very easily and share it. And um, I, I think they're more interested in kind of being an Evernote replacement than a Google Docs replacement. So, I, so much of this stuff with Apple really is trying to figure out what they're trying to do with it. And, and adjusting your expectations to match the actual trajectory mm -hmm. as opposed to what your own personal goals and biases lay on top of it. I mean, yeah. uh, a good example for me is QuickNote. I mean, I, I see all these things I want them to do with it, but maybe all they really wanted was a way for you to take notes on a website. And they were like, yeah, we did that. So we're good. You know, that's the question though. You never know. <laughs> All right. Um, you want to take a minute to talk about Safari 15 and just the the crazy summer of 2021. Yeah, they rolled out this new design and it was pretty bad. Uh, if you're running Big Sur today and you're all the way up to date, you have the remnants of this redesign where the tabs look like lozenges still. Uh but I, I assume there'll be an update coming to that in Monterey. The, the final release of Monterey Safari 15 looks pretty much like Safari 14. But they have this idea of like getting rid of separate tabs and sort of combining the tab bar and the location bar. And they've walked almost all of it back in terms of the, the design, at least. 
the features of Safari 15 uh, are still here, though. So we still have better tracking prevention. Uh, you still have the expansive and much better collection of Safari extensions available to you. There's already some really great ones out there. You got any favorites? Uh, I like one passwords a lot. Uh, I'm using Grammarly as well. Yeah. So basically it turns anything I'm typing into Grammarly can see and fix. Uh, and then uh, one blocker has an update that, that uses this new framework as well. My big complaint about the extensions is that it's a little clunky to manage them on the Mac. And, and maybe it's just something with my install, but on my Mac pro that's running big Sur. None of the icons in Safari are Retina. They're all low res. And some of them have different colors. So like the Grammarly one is green. So I have a bunch of these monotone, nice looking glyphs in Safari. And then like one password is blue and Grammarly is green. I just, I hate it. I hate the way they all look. And Chrome does a much better job of this where it tucks them away. And Safari has this weird... I don't know if it's a bug or what, but you can have an extension running, but not have it in the menu bar. But when you restart Safari, sometimes they all just come back. It's like, I don't want to see any of you like go away. And so there's some polish to be done there, I think. Yeah. But I I feel like they'll get that sorted out. Um, I think so. And this is one where we're going to get a lot more um, interesting extensions over, you know, the next year. Yeah, I hope as part of this that Apple is more forgiving with the third-party extension developers. Uh, I recently uh, participated in a um, kind of a call with the Readwise developers, um, and I, you know, I've talked about that service on the show. I'm a huge fan of Readwise, and I asked, well, you know, where is your Safari extension? They're like, well, you know, Apple's kind of difficult to work with, so you know, we've been focusing on Chrome, and that just broke my heart, right? Because Safari is the browser that does not kill my battery and it's made by the company that, you know, I feel like is going to protect my privacy and, and they have the technology now for some of my favorite plugins to show up. I don't want um, developers to feel like they can't come over, you know, now the technology is there. So I guess that's a story that's going to have to just develop. Um, but you, you talked about intelligent tracking prevention, and I think that is a real good feature this year. And that kind of is on, on brand with, with Apple's whole attitude towards Safari. Um, so what's happening now is because people are getting smarter and not like logging into websites to give the advertisers all the deta- details of their interests, uh, what they're doing instead is they're logging things like the IP address, the active font in the browser. They've got like all these goofy little variables they can look at that gives them a very good idea of, of that it's, you know, you using this because you always have this font or you always come from this IP address. And then they can build a profile of you against that without actually having you log in. And this whole idea between intelligent tracking prevention is to stop sending them all the data points they need to, to build those models. So, you know, good on Apple for doing this. I mean, this stuff takes work and, you know, they don't have to do it. So but that's just one more reason why I want to use Safari with these plugins. The uh, the other big feature in Safari 15 is tab groups where you can have uh, a selection of tabs or open windows and you can like close and open them as a group and you don't have to like resave the tab groups every time they they update as you go. For me, this is like so close to what I actually want 
in my mind, this works more like bookmark folders. So I could just have like a tab group for MPU. But if I navigate away from the CMS page for MPU to something else, then that something else is saved in the tab group. And so it doesn't really click with the way that I was hoping it would. But I've talked to a bunch of people who have absolutely loved tab groups since they they came out. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I'm with you because I'm a nerd. I already sorted this out years ago with folders. And, um, you know, using Alfred, you can access folders and using, you know, Keyboard Maestro, you can specifically call certain tabs when you're doing a task and and now shortcuts, you can do the same thing. So I've kind of automated around this problem for years now, but I've talked to several people who I like and respect who are a hundred percent in with these tab groups. And, um, I would call them intermediate users, you know, people who want to have this kind of power, but don't want to be monkeying around with, with bookmark tab groups and folders and all that. And I think it is a a really good middle ground. I don't know that I'm going to use it a lot though. Uh, FaceTime uh, basically comes along with a bunch of the stuff from iOS 15. So if you're on a Apple Silicon Mac, you get portrait mode, you can get spatial audio, the different, like voice isolation so it tunes out background noise and then wide spectrum which brings in a bunch of background noise all of that's there and share play is coming remember remember this from the from the summer share play is where david you and i could be on a facetime call and we decide hey we want to watch i don't know mandalorian the mandalorian together and so we're like on a facetime call and we're watching it together again that's not here yet that's coming this fall i'm very curious to see how this how SharePlay plays out. There was no avoiding that word play. I'm sorry. Uh, how that pans out over the the coming months. Uh, but the the basics of sort of you know new FaceTime stuff is there on the Mac, including the ability to create links and invite people to meetings. I have a very important question for you that just occurred to me. Okay. Have you watched The Mandalorian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, MPU can continue. We're good. <laughs> Sorry, I killed an 11-year-old podcast. By yeah, no. I know. Well, I, I think maybe someday you and I, when this comes out, let's do a show together. Let's like do a FaceTime show together. Like, okay. I'll make the popcorn. And I don't know, what do you make when you watch movies at your house? Mm, yeah, we do popcorn. You can get Eva corn dog. I'll get Ahsoka. We'll send the cows. Let's watch. Oh, you know, we could watch that... Um, was it Pirates of Silicon Valley? Let's watch that together. <laughs> you know, the one where like Steve Jobs is on oh, an acid yeah. trip in a room, you know? I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Maybe we could do, I wonder how many people we could do. Could we get like the whole audience in? I mean, I, I don't think it would work, but there's that gotta would be, be a cap awesome. on the number of yeah. people. All right. I, so I we'll, don't think we'll that play, many thousand we'll play with we'll share play. <laughs> that comes out. Uh, in your blog post about Monterey, you talked about the better. I'm putting it in, in air quotes because I'm not sure how you feel about this. Yeah, uh, yeah. The tiled window support. Something yeah. I've been using Monterey all summer, but I do not use split screen yeah. ever. And so I totally miss this. Tell me about tiled window support. Okay. Let's just talk in general about tiled window support. Like on the iPad, you can drag two windows together and have them next to each other. They're kind of like stuck together, but that never really seemed like a thing you'd want on the Mac because we had these big screens and the ability to resize windows. But I don't know, like five or six years ago, they added this feature to the Mac. 
And it is like the worst implementation of window management that I think I've ever seen on an Apple platform since the original Macintosh. I mean, just like, remember the original Mac, they had a thing where you could drag windows and they'd be invisible because they just have enough processor power to render anything but the outline. Uh (laughs) That was a good solution for the technology. Now we have like almost unlimited graphics power and they made this crippled tiling system and it's like come on guys you could do better and you actually have done better already on the iphone and the ipad um but anyway so the way it works currently is you make a full screen app and then you take you go into a mission control view i think that's what they call it right when you swipe up and it gives you the the, yeah. the windows across the top of the screen and then you drag another window onto that full screen app and it splits the screen for them and you can there's a slider in the middle so you can say like give one 75 of the screen the other one 25 which is all well and good i think it makes a lot of sense sometimes you're working on something and like maybe you want to be writing in a small window and reading the web off a large window or something like that but there's no way historically there's no way to switch the apps if you minimize either app you break the tile and everything just takes a lot of mousing and management to create and it's just it's just not been a good experience i mean there's always been this thing if you hold down on the green button you can do some of it through a mouse click but it's it's very um cryptic and very inconsistent and the other problem is there's only one option two screens on the window at a time, but they sell Mac, you know, screens now. Like what is the pro display? Is it like 30, 30 inches, 32 inches. 30, 32. Yeah. So they've got these massive screens and even on 27 inch iMac, they've got a massive screen. And do you know how ridiculous it looks to have two apps on an iMac screen at once, you know? So they just really like never took on this problem and there are so the solution for all of us has been find a third-party app you know yep. like moom is is really great i do a lot of stuff with moom with a uh, keyboard maestro i can i can buzz windows together like nobody's business and i can set them by context so like when i want to do this thing that involves mac power users this window goes here that window goes there and everything is in the same place every time and it just takes one button for me um so we've we've you know nerds have found ways around this but a lot of more you know typical users don't and the ones that are trying this is really like just dragging nails on the chalkboard to get this thing to work. And then, like I said, anytime you want to make the slightest change, it's like it's like if you're building a house of cards, you got to knock the whole thing down every time. And um, so I think it's really bad. Uh, so this year, they added a thing. So they added a thing where if you hold down a green button, when you've got two windows in this tiled mode, you can replace an app so you don't break the whole thing. So this is an improvement. Um, I feel like... What they need here is a complete redesign. I mean, they're taking a lousy, a lousy system and, you know, they're polishing it up a little bit and they're making it easier to switch apps. But the fact that they spent this time on this rather than just going back to the drawing board is disappointing to me. I feel like Apple has struggled for so long with mission control and expose and all of these different ways to manage windows on the Mac. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's <laughs> this is nuts. just like the latest painful version. Well, I mean, they could download any one of like 20 apps in the Mac mm-hmm. app store that do it better and yep. like use that as a starting point. Um, yeah. How do you do window management these days? I like, use, how do you, like if you want to take a window, and just make it half size of the screen. What do you do? Yeah. I use better snap tool. Okay. Uh, so it's just, just the one that's then. 
It's just the one yeah. that's clicked with me. I mean, yeah. all of these basically do the same thing. Yeah. And so I do that. The only time I really do it is if I'm doing like some pretty in-depth show preparation where I want my show notes on one side and maybe my notes in craft or another browser window for research on the other side. But it's not very often. I mean, it may be like once a week that I actually want two windows splitting my entire screen. Other than that, everything is chaotic and overlapping and a big mess. I do it every day. I I have different setups. Like I use Moom and I've created all of these scenarios, like half screen left, half screen right, you know, upper left quadrant, lower left quadrant, center and high, and then center and low so I can have stuff on top of each other, full screen and all this stuff I just do. And I mapped it to control command and then I use the JKL semicolon buttons and then the rows above and below just like you know just like a a gamer does you know how they navigate with jkl gamers do this all the time and so i just hold down those two modifier keys i hit j it goes the left side if i if i hit l it goes the right side if i hit k it centers the screen Uh, upper quadrant for me is u lower quadrant is n you know so i and i've got that under my fingers now so i can jump windows around quickly but the real solution to this is is automation you know setting up context and setups for types of work you do and this is the crazy thing steven okay shortcuts can let you put windows in quadrants so somebody at apple said hey it'd be a good idea if we made these windows more portable and we didn't have to just use one half of the screen for the window and like that makes sense on a small laptop, but on these big screens, people want quadrants. So they, they coded that in to shortcuts, but they, at the same time, they're trying to fix tiling and they didn't add it there. I don't know. I'm sorry. I get, <laughs> I'm getting wound up, but the, uh, come on guys. It's another one. Just, just start over. It's okay. You can fix this. Yeah. Talk to each other when you're the answer your is software. out there. You, I mean, it's not. And the thing is, I know people that work at Apple, and they are such nerds, and they do they want these features. And like, come on, just get to the. I don't know. So somebody's got to fix this because I feel like you know when when I talk to listeners who tell me, well, don't you think Mac OS is kind of done? I'm like, there are so many things they could make better in Mac OS, and like window management is one. It is embarrassing. I uh, I spent some time on a Windows machine recently, a Windows 11 machine. They've got window management so much better in the operating system on Windows 11. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know when Mac people sit around and laugh at Windows and say, oh, those guys are clowns? Um, They should be laughing at the Mac right now with the way they've got window management nailed down so good. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft calls it snap layouts, and it is super clever. It's clever, but it's not rocket science. I mean, you could do that with third-party apps here, but it should be baked into the operating system. go copy it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> the uh, the last uh, feature we're going to talk about, sort of in this uh, hodgepodge of features section, is n- uh, new password support. iCloud Keychain has been around. I don't even know how many years. And before that, you could save passwords in Safari itself. But with Monterey, uh, these passwords kind of have graduated in not to an application, but into a system preference pane called passwords and it's a just a little password manager in there and one of the new things this year is that you can um import and export passwords of course what is on the other end of that may have more or less data or may not map perfectly but the the option is there 
Uh, but there's also now a built-in two-factor authentication uh, feature. And so if you've signed up for something and, hey, you know, you need the six-digit code and that's being produced for you automatically in an app, not via SMS or text message, but within uh, a password manager, now passwords can can do that as well. And what is interesting about this is it's not just in Safari. So I just noticed this just last night, connecting to my Mac Pro file share from a Monterey laptop, and it wanted to fill in that password because I had it saved in system preferences. And so Apple is slowly pushing this into other parts of the OS. Of course, it's behind a password to touch ID itself. And so if you're using iCloud Keychain, I think this is a much nicer home for all that stuff. And you're not stuck to sort of that janky old school Safari preference uh, section for passwords. That's still there. You can still manage them there. But I think Apple is going to push people more and more to this uh, system preference pane. No, I think the more of this we can do, the better. Um, if you're listening and you weren't aware, two-factor authentication through uh, application authentication generation is way more secure than through a cellular phone. People can spoof your your phone chip and they can get that message delivered to them. I mean, most of us don't have that problem. You know, we're not important enough, but, you know, that is something that can be done. Whereas with these two-factor authentication applications, you it's a lot harder. So, you know, that's the way to go with this stuff if you have the option. Mm-hmm. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash MPU and stop stressing over scattered devices and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. So you've got a whole fleet of Apple devices and they used to be arranged neatly, carried to and from an office predictably, handed directly to your team members on day one and used precisely for work and securely connected to the office network. Well, that's not true anymore. Now they're strewn across the land. Your company iPads, iPhones, and Macs are out there connecting to dodgy coffee shop Wi-Fi, mistakenly left behind on cross-country flights, and moonlighting as a child's toy in playrooms turned to work from home offices. So what could go wrong with that, right? Thanks to Electric, you don't have to worry about what could go wrong. Electric gives you fully supported device management for Apple devices. Electric device management automates device provisioning and setup, remotely enforces security and compliance across your fleet, and gives you visibility into your device inventory and health at all times. Electric uses the world's leading device management providers and tops it off with world-class IT support. For fully managed devices, over 100 IT specialists are ready to field your team's IT requests. So stop stressing over scattered devices. Head over to electric.ai slash MPU and get started. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they'll give you a pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones. Win! That's electric.ai slash MPU and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones today when you schedule a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users. All right, so David, I know you're the the big focus guy. So tell us yeah. a little bit about focus in Monterey. Uh, it's it's there and it works. You know, I mean, uh, we talked about this at some length with the iOS 15 review, but you know, the whole idea behind focus is giving the user granular control over what you see and what can break through. 
Um, and this is a feature that we were really hoping for. Um, I thought it was going to show up on the iPhone and then it was going to be an iPhone only thing. And, you know, we got a Christmas gifts in June this year because they brought this feature in and it works across the entire Apple ecosystem. I mean, the way I set focus modes now is largely with my watch. You know, you can do them with shortcuts and whatnot, but like when I'm going to sit down and record a podcast, I'll just swipe up and hit the uh, podcast focus with my watch. And then all of a sudden um, I'll get, you know, phone calls will stop coming in and messages will stop interrupting me and I'll be able to focus on the show. And, and I could, and it shows up everywhere. When I do that, it shows up on my Mac, my iPhone, my iPad. So uh, they did a great job of making this interactive. And, and I do, and I've said this on the show before, so I don't know how deep I should go into it, but I think this is an excellent first effort. Like to compare this with quick notes, I feel like quick notes was a toe in the water. This is more like you're up to your waist now. And uh, this is a real useful feature. That's why I'm going to do a webinar on it because you can, if you spend some time tuning this, you can really govern when you're doing different things in your life, who can get through to you, which makes all the difference. I mean, I, I read a, a statistic once and I don't know if this is true. You know, I, I don't think any of these statistics are exactly right, but someone said, whenever you get interrupted, it takes you like 30 minutes to get back your brain back into the zone where you were. But I used to always tell that to my secretaries when I was at the office say, Hey, this is the the statistic. And I always would say it's true, you know, so they wouldn't bug me. And instead we would just schedule like a half hour at four 30 and just bring all the questions at once. But whatever the number is, I know I'm rambling, sorry, Steve, but whatever the numbers you do, when you get interrupted, it does take you time to get back into that zone. And with, with this feature, you can stop those interruptions. You know, nobody should be allowed to tap you on the shoulder when you're doing your most important work. You know, and whatever that work is, you should be allowed to make it as good as possible. And text messages and phone calls and all that stuff does not help. It just, it just stops you. It gets in the way. So I don't know. I, I love it. Um, I think it's not powerful enough. Like one of the things I've said this before is uh, I should be able to include or exclude entire groups. Um, there should be, you know, there should be exclusion lists where I can say nobody in the clients list can call me. Like, I don't want to hear from clients right now or inclusion groups where nobody in where everybody in the client group can, can call me, but nobody else, or even my nuclear family. Every time I want to do this, almost every one of my, my focus modes has Daisy, Sarah and Samantha can call me or, or text me. Cause like when those three people call me, there may be something going down, then they need me right away. And I can't you know, miss that call. Right. So why can't I just have like a nuclear family group and just say that group can get through or not get through. But so, so there are areas of this that need to improve, but, um, I, uh, I'm a big fan. How is the, the UI for putting these together, managing them on the Mac versus iOS and iPad OS? Uh, it's very similar. Um, getting to the settings takes a little work. And I think that, um, it could be better. I feel like this is all kind of a first attempt. And I think maybe like an Apple watch situation when they're going to see how people use this and maybe adjust accordingly. Um, but you can go in and make these changes. You can do, you can adjust everything on the Mac, just like you can on the iPhone, the iPad and, um, and you can trigger them on the Mac. 
you can use the new shortcuts app to set them, which is great. Um, I don't know. I, I really feel like they went above and beyond what I would have expected for this feature, but um, it, it, it's one of those things that the more power you get, the more power you want with something like this. Like one of my favorite um, focus modes is Disneyland. You know, we go to the park and spent all this money to buy these passes. When I'm there with my kids, I want to be just with my kids. And you know how clients have a tendency to like want to text you or call you and just throw your whole day, you know, adrift. And a lot of times it could wait, you know? So not only do I have it, you know, clear out certain people that um, have a tendency to call me like the, you know, the, their pants are on fire when they're not. Um, I also have it do a thing where it changes the home screen to my Disneyland home screen. So the Disneyland apps there, the weather app, the battery uh, widget, you know, stuff like that is on my screen. And then when I leave Disneyland, it goes back to my normal home screen and I don't have to really do anything with it. I mean, there's a lot to that. That's why I'm doing a webinar on it. Cause there's, there's really kind of a lot and this is kind of visual, but um, if you haven't played with it yet, I would suggest go in and just make a simple um, focus mode and start, start tinkering with it. Find out where the rough edges are for you. Um, and if you're willing to kind of go all in with it, it does take some work, but it is a great way to reduce the number of interruptions and let you do your best work. Another huge feature in Monterey is the inclusion of shortcuts. And we spoke about this over the summer. We spoke to Apple about it, about them not only bringing shortcuts to the Mac, but then having it incorporate automators actions and you can bail out to, JavaScript Some, or Apple script, yeah. which is, which is really cool. Um, I've been playing with this uh, a good bit and I've been really impressed with how Apple has made shortcuts kind of available everywhere in Mac OS. Yeah. And so there's a menu bar item. And if you click it, there's a list of your shortcuts that you've added to your menu bar. So you can fire them off there. They can be assigned a universal keyboard shortcut, which, oh boy, how awesome would that be on an iPad OS? Yeah, like, no you kidding. You have a keyboard. And then if you've got a stream deck, you've got shortcut buttons. Yeah, it's on the stream. You can put it on the stream deck. Uh, I thought this would be a good use for the uh, the hyper key, so people haven't explored that. Uh, i got a link in the show notes about it. Yeah. Um, of course, you can run them via Siri if you talk to your Mac. Better Touch Tool was just updated to add support for running shortcuts. Of Basically, it was. <laughs> you, you can run them quick, anywhere. Quick, it's great. And quick actions too. So like you can create shortcuts as quick actions. Like you're in the finder, you can right click. Like I, I made a shortcut just yesterday because I was getting all these images out of photos that were coming out as HEIC format and I wanted them JPEG. So I just made a shortcut that converts them to JPEG and I saved it as a quick action. So I can go in the finder and just select them, right click and hit one quick action and it converts them to JPEG. So I can do some other stuff with them that, you know, they, where they couldn't be read as HEIC. So much stuff with this man. It's so powerful. It had a rough beta though. And I think, you know, there was a combination. This is my, I haven't talked to anyone at Apple, but this is kind of my read on it. Um, the Mac is a different platform. I think they were really trying to do this whole thing in Swift UI, which is a, a new programming environment. And I feel like the shortcuts team was the sacrificial canary in the coal mine that had to make a complex app using Swift UI. 
And I feel like they, they probably swift UI got a lot better over the summer because of it. Um, and, uh, and then if you see some of this, the press release stuff, it looks like a lot of some of the more traditional shortcuts, um, automation team, I'm sorry, the automator automation team folks are coming over to shortcuts now. So they're bringing in some of the old school automators in to help with the Mac stuff. So I, I feel like it was a rough beta and it got a reputation for that, but it is really writing itself pretty quickly. Um, I wanted to have a shortcuts field guide out for Mac today, you know, when this released, that was my goal. And I've got a lot of it recorded, but there was a bunch of it that I couldn't get recorded because of, of bugs and beta stuff. So I will have that out in probably a month or so. If you guys are interested in that, that'll be my next field guide. But um, it, it was a kind of a rough beta, but I do feel like you're right. I mean, they're they're really building something here that is, it's like if Automator had been given wings, you know? Mm-hmm. One thing that I was curious about how they would handle it through the beta we saw it is because shortcuts are cross-platform and they all sync with iCloud, you can end up in a situation where you have a shortcut that is dependent on something on iOS and that sync to your Mac or vice yeah. versa. And it fails pretty gracefully. Basically, if you run a shortcut and it's looking for an iOS app and you're on the Mac, you don't have that app installed. It just says, hey, you know, I need this, this and this and it's not available right now. Uh, try this on, you know, your another device. Yeah. And I think that's good. I, I do think that folders in shortcuts is like even more important now than it was when it was introduced yeah. because I've actually kind of made a Mac folder within shortcuts of things that are very sort of Mac specific and that has helped sort of break them out. So if you haven't taken the time to play with the folders and shortcuts, now may be a really good time. Yeah. And that problem you just described of a uh, wrong device, you know, when you're asking for an action, you can actually kind of shortcut code around that with device detection. It has the ability to know if it's running on an iPhone, iPad, or Mac. So uh, in shortcuts, they have a thing called an if statement. So if the device is a Mac, then you do this shortcut. If it's an iPad, you do that shortcut, and then it just runs the actions appropriate for the device, but you can run it all within one shortcut. And I'll cover that in the shortcuts field guy. I'm getting kind of too nerdy at this point. It's really hard to talk about this stuff in an audio podcast. But um, there's real kind of muscle under the hood with shortcuts. I don't think it's ever going to replace Keyboard Maestro, honestly, because Keyboard Maestro does a bunch of stuff that I don't think Shortcuts is interested in. I don't think it's going to replace Hazel or Apple Script, but it's going to be like, it's like if you're a carpenter and you've got a, you know, a framing hammer and a saw and a chisel and like, this is just one more tool that is going to be very useful. Like contact automation is, I mean, that is shortcuts all the way. I mean, doing contact automation, I always find in keyboard maestro, like pulling teeth, whereas shortcuts makes it so easy. And window management may be another one like that. You know, we were talking about earlier, you know, why can't we manage windows better? Well, the answer is you can. You just build setups in shortcuts and they're so easy to build and you can run them from your menu bar or, you know, from a button on your stream deck or from, you can even, you know, hit the hyper key plus the number pad one key or, you know, whatever you want and trigger this thing where it just sets your Mac up for whatever kind of work you're going to do. I mean, there's more to be said about this. And uh, I really am looking forward to getting that field guide out. I think once I get that out, we'll do an episode and I'll share a bunch of the ones I've been cooking up 
but I'd like to have something I can share with people visually before we get to it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is made possible by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical glitch while shopping online? Maybe filling out extensive payment fields were enough to give you a headache? Or your mobile banking app was down when you really needed it? Capital One believes that everyone deserves better banking. That means easier access to their money and more security. That's why Capital One is investing in machine learning. Machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud with random forests, with models that quickly detect suspicious activity and make it faster to alert federal investigators. And they can identify how mobile app outages happen with casual models because they use anomaly detection and incident response to help determine why app outages are happening so engineers can quickly remedy them. Capital One also speeds up online shopping with machine learning at the edge, which makes shopping with virtual card numbers smoother and more secure. The technology is based on logistic regression models and running interference in the browser, and it identifies payment fields, which helps make using those virtual card numbers easier and faster. I love Capital One's belief that banking should be better for everyone. We've all used terrible bank apps. I have to do it all the time. I'm really excited to see where they can drive not only their products, but the whole industry. The potential of machine learning is so big. See how Capital One is using machine learning to create the future of banking at CapitalOne.com slash ML. That's CapitalOne.com slash ML. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Our thanks to Capital One for the support of the show and Relay FM. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the outline feature grab bag because <laughs> there's a bunch of them, right? This kind of gets back to my original idea that this is kind of a snow leopard year. Um, I already mentioned erase all content and settings. You, you access that by opening system preferences and then going up to the Apple menu or actually it's the system preferences menu. And there's a, uh, a button there. It says just what it says, you know, erase all content and settings. You click that. Your computer does a few things. It asks you to confirm, and then you have a wiped Mac. So if you are getting ready to sell your Intel machine to get maximum value out of it and you know throw a bunch of money at Apple for an Apple Silicon machine, and you've got this uh, new update installed, just run that, and you're good. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, I've already used it once. <laughs> nice. You're just trading computers out left and right over there. No, no. It's, it was for my daughter. Um, she had we We were trading between my daughters one of them has an m1 and one of them has an intel the other one is doing a lot more video so she needed the more powerful one so we had to to swap between them yeah i think this was here last year just on apple silicon and just in recovery mode if i'm correct so making it more available is good definitely yeah i also like that new feature airplay to mac i mean have you played with that yet i haven't um Mainly because I've just had Monterey on a laptop. It's like, well, yeah, sure. airplane to that is fine. But if you have like a Mac mini hooked up to a TV or you have a big display, you can now set your Mac as an AirPlay target, AirPlay receiver, which you've been able to do for like 100 years with third-party apps, but now it's built in. Yeah, the, the big use for me is a lot of times I'll play audiobooks or podcasts through my iPhone while I'm sitting here working on my Mac. And now I can set my speakers on my Mac, which are really nice yet old speakers, and uh, just play through them as if I was playing, you know, through instead of playing through the tiny little speaker on my iPhone. So for, I use it for audio more than anything else. 
one a uh, really nice and it's such a small feature, but it's so, so nice. It used to be that if you were copying a file in Finder, you could not close the copy window. You'd have to like minimize it or just ignore it. And now you can close it and the copy operation continues and it doesn't stop. Yes. Woo! I mean, I don't know what else to say, but yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Only took- How many times have you done that? I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, have, I don't even know. I mean, I have accidentally, you know, like your brain goes in autopilot and you just start closing windows. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, that's why I didn't yeah. copy. I uh, never uh, let that window a feature finish. 20 years in the making. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, while talking about little things, uh, proxy icons return. So you can have the icon of the folder you're in in Finder or your document and something like Pages. Uh, it came back as an accessibility option, which is sometimes just the graveyard for decisions Apple couldn't make. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I like that. That's good. System preferences, accessibility, display. Show window title icons. If you miss proxy icons, which I did, you can turn that on and they're back. That is my HDMI. You know how a bunch of people, now that these new MacBook Pros are out, are just losing their mind over the return of HDMI? This is my HDMI. I wanted proxy icons so bad. I use them all the time. I mean, like you're sending an email to someone, you've got a document, you just drag the proxy icon into the email and you can send it. And, uh, there's so many things you can do with proxy icons. When when Brett Terrestre and I did the 60 tips book, we did like a bunch of tips just on what you can do with a proxy icon and and why they thought it was a good idea to remove it, I will never understand. And it's not even really back yet, but it can be back. So so turn it on. I guess one, it's not really like a grab bag feature because it's actually, I think, a pretty cool, cool thing is live text. So that feature yeah. on iOS 15 where you can copy and paste text out of images. It's in Monterey. Initially, it was just going to be on Apple Silicon, but then they said, oh, no, it's coming to Intel Max too. So that that's pretty sweet. Yeah. No, it, it is a great feature. I've used it a couple times, not a lot throughout the beta, but when I needed it, it was very convenient. However, this is not a replacement for OCR layers on pdf files i've had a couple people email me ask that hey can i stop doing ocr now that we've got live text and no because when you do optical character recognition on your pdf it puts a a text layer in there that you can search through finder and like there's just a whole lot more you can do with it and uh, this is not a replacement for for ocr it's it's an enhancement it's just one more thing your system can do recording indicator i think that's kind of nice too yeah, it's been on the iOS for a couple of years now. Yeah. And I think it's even nicer on the Mac because you could have more than one application access your audio subsystem. <gasps> yeah. Gasp. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, very nice to have that. I think that's a really nice privacy feature. Android 12 added it as well, I think. Either this new version of Android we're looking at now or the one last year added it. So it's kind yeah. of become a staple across different operating systems that hey if something is recording audio or video uh you need to show the user that and apple has this little methodology with a dot and i think it works pretty well and i I was really glad to see that come to mac os yeah it's on my screen right now i wonder why (laughs) so uh, with these features there are some limitations for intel Macs, right there are which is which is interesting to me that (laughs) They're still selling Intel Max. Quite a yeah, few of them. 
but it's how it is. Uh, a lot of these features must rely on things like the neural engine or other specialized, uh, specialized hardware, I guess that's not yeah. in the Intel max. So we, there's a list of these, uh, the Mac rumors put together. Initially live text was on here, but Apple said, no, it's going to come everywhere, which is good. Yeah. Uh, so portrait mode and FaceTime where it blurs out the background, uh, that I don't, understand because zoom and microsoft teams and even skype can all blur your background on like anything so i don't know why apple's something about the i'm sure it's i think it's a resource problem yeah it's a resource because they they programmed they probably have subsystems on the apple silicon that does that automatically for free in essence yeah and they don't want to spend the time to program it like without that subsystem yeah. yeah. It's like, are we going to spend the time to figure this out for Intel Max or are we going to just like let it go? Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's what, I mean, it's possible, right? But I feel like they chose not to do it. Yeah. I'm sure they're using the, uh, the ISP on the M1, but, uh, oh well. Uh, a couple of things in maps. So there's this new interactive globe feature, uh, that's not on Intel. And there's some new, like, detail, city level detail in maps and there's a screenshot of this in uh in this mac rumors article i don't have this in memphis but i like played with it in san francisco and it's amazing uh that is um that's going to be apple silicon only you can still zoom in obviously but just like at some point the level of detail can go further yeah on the apple silicon mac which i think is fair i say do you think they should be waiting on these features uh, because they're not going to support them on intel should they wait until Apple Silicon is more of the prevalent hardware or should they start releasing these things now anyway? I mean, I think everything on this list is an okay line, I guess. I think live text did go too far and maybe that's why they ended up doing the work to make it work on Intel Max. Yeah. But like even like looking through these, like the next one is object detection for AR kit. Like no one does or cares about that. Um, And, you know, most of these are like, yeah, you know, some of it will work, but you just won't get the same level of feature. So like Siri text-to-speech on Apple Silicon, you can do it in more languages than on Intel Macs. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a real bummer if if you want to, like, dictate in Danish, but that's probably not a huge market for Apple, so maybe they think it's okay as a trade-off. 88 beautiful canals. That's all, I'm sorry to the... Somebody somebody is going to know what I was talking about. Just one person, maybe. One person. I uh, text-to-speech is really good with with Monterey. There's no timer anymore. They they added a timer back in the last couple of releases. It's gone now. Well, it's still there for Intel Max. Intel Max gets 60 seconds. Yeah. (sighs) I don't understand that because it wasn't there on Intel Max for the longest time. Yeah. Who knows? uh, uh, but I've been using it a lot throughout the beta and, um, you know, I still think probably uh, dragon in its heyday was better, but the gap is closing. If you haven't tried, uh, just talking to your Mac, they even added a button now to the function row, I think to make this a more prevalent feature. Yep. F five little microphone. Yeah. I do a lot of that stuff and I, uh, I find it very useful and the microphones are good in these Macs. So it just, I, somebody could make a super cut of me telling people to try this again on the Mac and it would last like 30 minutes over the age of this podcast. But, but it just does, I mean, it just gets better every year and it's, it's pretty good now. 
that's me. I'm the ultimate text to speech or speech to text optimist. That's that's you what are. that's going to say on my uh, gravestone. <laughs> he dictated this himself. Yes. <laughs> but then it's going to like misspell himself, you know. Oh yeah. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to an audience used by the biggest creators on the web. Generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. At Relay FM, we've been using Memberful for almost six years. It has been uh, an amazing asset, especially as we've come through the unstable years of 20 and 21. It has been uh, a really important and growing part of our business to diversify the company's income. Your business financial situation has probably changed in the past year, and you, now you need a proven solution that's quick to launch. You can stabilize your business and grow. Memberful handles all the hard stuff so you can focus on what you do best while earning revenue quickly, while leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. It has everything you need, including optimized checkout, Apple Pay support, easy member management, dashboard analytics, free trials, gift subscriptions, and more. And Memberful seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use, including lots of fully managed integrations with really popular services like WordPress, MailChimp, Discord, and more. Get started for free at memberful.com MPU. No credit card is required. That's memberful.com MPU. Go check it out and see what it could do for your business. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM. Steven, uh, we have now time traveled and you are now in possession of a very fancy MacBook Pro. Give us the details. Oh, it's so good. It's they took everything wrong with the MacBook Pro and fixed it and also made it super super fast so i've got the 14 inch in space gray the m1 pro i didn't go for the max as a secondary machine i feel like didn't really need uh that expenditure and so i spent that money on memory instead so i've got 32 gigabytes of memory in it and two terabytes of storage and i migrated everything to it the other night over thunderbolt and like let me just tell you if you have an actual thunderbolt cable you know not just like a USB C charging cable but a real thunderbolt cable and you use migration assistant across Thunderbolt. It is so fast. Like I didn't think it actually finished because I, I got it started, and then had to do some stuff around the house because the, the machine came really late in the day the other day. And I came back out here maybe forty minutes later, and it was done. And I had hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes to move. I was like, "Oh, did you fail?" He's like, "No, Thunderbolt's just." really fast yeah i don't get to experience that very often i don't have any thunderbolt drive enclosures or anything but oh boy when you can get it singing it sings yeah yeah well i have news to share too oh oh okay what have you done because i've got (laughs) some cryptic text messages from you well okay so there's been a whole thing right um i so i i published on my website the m1 16 inch pro that i was going to get we talked in the last episode how I have this overall arching strategy. I'm going to make it kind of like what I call the end game for this generation or for a few years, you know, I'm going to get it really loaded up uh, MacBook pro and I'm just going to connect it to my monitor and that's going to be my main computer. And then I thought I have the M one 
a plain MacBook that I have sitting here that I would keep like if I need to go out of town or something and I don't have to bring the super expensive one with me. But then the whole thing happened. Like uh, one of the listeners chimed in in the forums how like for 400 bucks more, I could have gone to Max because I <laughs> I priced the difference at the beginning, not the yeah. end. You know what I mean? At the right. beginning, it's like a $1,200 difference. But, but then when I started adding some other things in, actually the price difference narrowed quite a bit. And of course, you know, the listeners who I uh, always complain to me that I cost them money, well, they got their revenge and I upped my order. So I got the like fully specced out one, but it wasn't going to deliver till like Christmas. And then the day that they launched in stores, I was sitting here in the backyard with the dog and I'm like, well, let me just look, you know? And I opened up the app and I looked in and I put in my build in and it and it didn't show up. I'm like, okay, they nobody no Apple store would have this like high-end build anyway. Sure. And then I realized that I had made it for space gray. I'm like, oh, but I didn't look at silver, which is the color I want. So I switched the color to silver and did the same build. And they had it like at the Apple store, like five miles from my house, like <laughs> just sitting there, right? <laughs> sitting there in a box saying, calling out David. Why would the Sparky. finish make a difference? That... I don't know. I don't wow. know, man. Mrs. Sparky, come get me. Save me. So I did. I, uh, I canceled. I ordered that one immediately because i thought you know somebody's gonna get it in the next two minutes if i don't so i I ordered it and then i canceled my online order but uh, as you may recall i had like this ton of gift cards i had put into this thing (laughs) and so what happens when you cancel an order with gift cards on it where they haven't shipped it and charged you yet Mm -hmm. is the gift cards stay valid so they just the gift cards had never been charged so they were good but I had already paid for the new one at the Apple store. So I went down there with the gift cards and that was another thing. They had to like hand me the new one and say, okay, now you need to re- return it. <laughs> so I got a full refund for it. And then I bought it again with the gift cards and wow. like, within it, it was like a whole like thing, but I got home and I've got like the fully maxed out 16 inch MacBook pro Mac M one max. It is amazing. And in silver. The color you wanted. And in silver. And like I was thinking, you know, all the comparisons to the titanium MacBook, uh, putting it in silver really, really draws that out. You know, it's very like retro with yeah. the silver. Yeah, I kind of wish I had done silver, but that's okay. The yeah. space grade does look really good. Um, So you've got it. How do you feel about the dimensions of this machine? Because if I remember correctly, you haven't had a, a laptop like on the big end of things in a long time, right? Yeah. Oh, the lunch tray. Uh, yeah. No, I haven't had one for, for a long time, but it's this is really what I wanted because I really view this, like my studio at home is great, but there's a couple times during the day where the sun comes in. It's a high ceiling room with big windows, and that's what I love about it. But sometimes the sun really nails me, and I want to get out of the room. And then also because it's in the center of the house, sometimes with people walking around, I can't work as much or record. So the idea of the widescreen for me was like, this is a machine I could bring to a different room in the house and record screencast video or even do a podcast. Um, so I was willing to get the bigger machine. I Can I just say for a second, all these reviewers that start their reviews complaining about how big and heavy the MacBook Pro is, I literally want to throw you through a window. I mean, it's like <laughs> we have for years been dealing with the after effects of Apple thinking a MacBook Pro needs to be thin and light. 
you know, yep. and and it's like it's a it needs to be a MacBook Pro. It needs to be a little heavy and big because if we want the features that that make it a MacBook Pro, I mean, we literally just won this battle, you know. And then these big publications are saying, well, it's kind of heavy and it's kind of big, you know, and um, and they shoot all the pictures of the fact that it's noticeably thicker. I'm like, gosh, you guys, what is what is wrong with you? You know, I mean, it's a MacBook Pro. Don't encourage Apple to slim it back down. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so it is bigger and heavier, but it's not like, like I told you in the recent show, I don't remember if it was in more, P, more power users or during the main show that I had a gaming laptop last year. Cause I did a contract project where I did a windows uh, screencast and, and man, that thing was big and heavy. This thing is really not big and heavy. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's still pretty thin and it's still not super heavy. I, I think it's fine. Um, I like the rounded corners on the bottom because I feel like it makes it a lot easier to pick up. Um, I heard, I also read a lot of people complaining that the feet were too big and, I don't know. They feel like computer feet to me. I mean, they're not yeah. super small, but I mean, they're fine. Uh, the vents are right on the edge. If you hold it on your lap, like a lot of people like put a laptop on their lap, the vents are exactly where it would meet your pants. So your pants will block the vent. I think if you're going to get one of these, you should have a, a lap desk or something flat. You can put it on if you're going to put it or even just a book or something, but don't just set it on your legs because I believe you're probably going to block the vents. The yeah, the design of it, like I like the boxy look a lot. I think that's one reason, like on the 14 inch, it looks thicker than it is because it's not tapered anywhere. Um, I like the look. You know, the vents kind of remind me of you know older machines a little bit, but again, like Apple's not being shy about what this machine is or. Uh, or who it's for. And that's a nice change. I mean, I feel like for so long, the MacBook Pro was just like a MacBook Air that was a little bit faster, but not a lot faster. And now they're like separate, separate machines. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, uh, it looks like a pro machine and that's great. Um, do you want to talk about processors i guess that's where we should kind of start the discussion at this point we've both been using them for a couple days so yeah uh, we've had a chance to do some tests you even brought some math and tables to the discussion (laughs) i did uh so yeah there'll be a link to this uh in the show notes but i ran uh three different exports or renders uh one out of logic one out of final cut and one in forecast which is an mp3 encoder that i use uh, for for the podcasts and we can go look at the numbers, but it's very in line with like what Jason Snell had in his review that this MacBook Pro and I have the M1 Pro. I don't have the M1 Max, which is the same CPU core count, but has more GPU cores. Uh, it's trading blows with my 12 core Mac Pro. Uh, the Mac Pro is a little bit faster on a you know on on one thing, but the MacBook Pro is faster on two others. And this is, of course, looking at more than just CPU. I mean, uh, SSD speed, for instance, makes a makes a big difference in yeah. logic exporting for uh, for one. And so, you know, it, it's not a, like a clean room experiment, but it's like these are things that I do on a regular basis across three machines. You can see the M1 MacBook Pro, the 13 inch with Touch Bar, is slower than my Mac Pro, but my Mac Pro and my M1 Pro notebook. Or neck and neck. And so I would imagine that if I had a fourth 
column on this and we had your machine, the numbers would be probably pretty similar. The Final Cut one may be faster. But yeah. I mean, Jason in his review said that it was a, a Mac Pro you could put in your backpack, and he's he's right. Totally right. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting like three and a half times faster 4K renders out of Final Cut over my M1. I mean, it's like boom, you know, at the um I mean, usually when I do renders, I just leave the room because it just takes so long. And 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 the M1 is no slouch. And I could have got by with those slower renders, but it sure is nice having them a lot faster. And uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, the M1 yeah. was as fast as almost any Intel Mac except the Mac Pro. And now yeah. they've caught it. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is the disk speed, the disk access speed, like if moving big files and stuff, which is another thing I do a lot of because of screencast and video, it's just like, this is not something I wait for anymore. It, that's, that's, you know, I mean, I, I didn't run a stopwatch, but it is crazy fast. And like all this, all the little paper cuts that I used to get with waiting for the computer to finish big tasks are basically gone with this machine. It's, it really is so impressive and to do all of this with their own gpu in particular is what really jumps out at me you know there's been discussion of are they going to still rely on amd and what are they going to do and my thought was that they would they'd want to do their own but we just had never seen apple do that at this scale yeah and now they've done it and it's like, oh, gosh, not only are y'all really good at, at building CPUs, you're also really good at building GPUs, it turns out as well. And now I think it's going to be all Apple GPU, you know, all the way to the top of the line. Yeah. And I mean, the rumor is that the Mac Pro next year, whenever that probably a year from now is going to double this. So it'll be like six instead of 32 cores in my machine, it'll be 64 or 128 or just some insane number of video cores. And that's going to be for people who are like doing really heavy lifting. That is going to be great. Dude, it really has me thinking like, I don't, <laughs> the Mac Pro is overkill for a lot of stuff I do, but like the Apple Silicon one is really going to be overkill for a lot of what I do. So like, I, I, I kind of wonder what will happen in the future, how that plays out. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I really like my setup of a nice screen with this attach. I, I am not going to. You know, I'll say it here and people in the forum are going to go after me, but I am not going to need to like upgrade to the Mac Pro. <laughs> I've never bought a Mac Pro in my life. So just to be clear, I, I just I, I do have some limit on my largesse, but they, I, I think this is great. And for me, because I want the ability to go in other rooms with the machine, mm -hmm. this is just like perfect. And, and honestly, for years, I think this is going to be you know, the main machine for me. And in fact, once I got everything going, so the UCLA kid is home for a couple of days. They have remote learning in a couple of classes. So she said, come home and see the dog, not the parents. And um, she's like, well, wait, you have an extra computer now, right? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, you know, she has the, an older Intel MacBook Air. And she's like, dad, my battery's dying all the time. And I, I would really like your extra computer because, <laughs> you know, she knows uh, she she's a Max Sparky daughter. She understands the the Apple Silicon gets like all day battery. So I'm like, how do you say no to that? So now I'm literally a single computer guy. We're uh, doing the migration right now, um, but I think I'll be fine. I mean, this thing is a is a monster. Now there's a flip side though of the um, the the processor discussion because I was writing a blog post this morning about my initial thoughts and I, I was doing some web research and writing. 
and um, you know checking email and for those jobs, this computer feels exactly the same speed as my M1. And mm-hmm. and this thing does have good battery life. And I'm convinced that Apple, I don't think throttling is the word, but I think what they're doing is they're turning off all the high-powered chips a lot. Like if you were in Safari or email or a text editor, I feel like it's just saying, okay, I'm going to do all this on the low process or, or the high-efficiency two cores, the small yes. cores, which are exactly the same cores in an M1 MacBook Air or M1 MacBook Pro. So I think I'm basically running a MacBook Air inside of this MacBook Pro. And that way, the fans don't turn on, the um, the battery life lasts forever, and honestly, it doesn't feel any different to me. So like, if you are considering one of these and you're not rendering 4K video or doing some high compute task, I don't think you're going to notice a difference. Even if you buy the like fully spec'd out one like I have, you know, Word processing and web browsing are not going to feel any different to you. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you know, this this is what Apple has been doing on iOS and iPad OS devices for quite a while, right? You have yeah. these high efficiency cores that they themselves get faster year after year, and they just sip power. You know, they're not very uh, energy intensive. But the second you need more, it can light up those other cores and you know get chewing on whatever your big uh, your big project is, whether it be a render or a file copy or, you know, you're, you've opened one too many Chrome tabs, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I was making fun of Chrome a little bit there, but that totally works. And in my experience now with having an M1 MacBook Pro for a year and now this M1 Pro MacBook Pro, God, these names. I know. Uh, I totally agree with you. Like day to day, they feel the same. But it's when you sort of step on the gas that it really comes alive in a way that no other Mac has, especially no other Mac notebook. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I want out of a machine. I want a notebook that lasts forever on battery life and is cool, is not running the fans when I'm just using it, right? When I'm just on the couch in a Google Doc, you know, taking notes during a keynote, I don't need to hear the fan. But... If I'm using it to export a podcast on the road, I want it to go as fast as it possibly can. And this machine, I mean, is there's a little like Jekyll and Hyde in there, and yeah. I totally dig it. Yeah, I mean, and man, when you unleash the beast, it, it really goes crazy. <laughs> Look out, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So, but I think that's kind of the way it should be. But I think going into it, you should understand if you're somebody who just wants the latest and greatest, and you don't really need to do those high renders. Uh, I don't think you're going to get your bang for your buck on that. But there is one difference between these machines that we have to talk about, and that is this crazy screen. I I mean, I read that the screen was better. I expected it to be better. I did not expect it to be this good. So the, the ProMotion is interesting to me. I don't notice it as much on the Mac, but enough to still for it to bother me. But how do you feel about the high refresh rate? Well, I thought we already agreed you were not going to tell me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was like three days ago. I forgot. Okay. So let me just say, I, I think it's great. And, you know, I like ProMotion. I, my eyes are capable of seeing it without making me sick. So I'm good, you know. And sure, it's better. But honestly, that is that is a nice feature. But what's, to me, better is just, it's just these mini LED displays with the color so vivid and clean. And another point of the screen that I didn't realize was just how much better text looks with true, you know, 2X rendering. 
And for listeners that haven't been following this, uh, in the last you know several years, MacBooks and MacBook Pros have not had exactly 2x for their retina, which means they kind of like scale the text to get it on your screen. And it gets just a little fuzzy around the edges. And I, I know it's not really a big deal. I mean, these retina screens are, are kind of amazing. But the um, but when I looked at this one, it was immediately apparent to me that the text is is crisper. And um, it's almost like when you go to the optometrist and like they're fiddling with the lenses and suddenly they fiddle and then all of a sudden everything gets really clear. Mm-hmm. I feel like these screens are um, super crisp. I don't know how else to put it. And the colors are amazing. And I just, I keep getting drawn to it. I've only been using it a couple of days, so I'm still in the honeymoon period. But it's like sometimes I just stop and look at pixels on the screen because I think it looks so good. So I, I think, and I guess you need to go in an Apple store and make a decision for yourself. But I think if you put one of these next to a MacBook Air, you're going to notice a big difference in the screen. And so for people who do who want the latest and greatest but don't have needs for um, like 4K video renders or the stuff Steven's doing, uh, but you see those screens together, you're like, oh, man, I really want that screen. What I would recommend is just getting the lowest end MacBook Pro you can with enough storage and um and just get that if you really want the screen but you're going to pay like a thousand bucks extra for it so you got to make sure it's something you really want the thing that is that is cool about that is that the technology in the screen was in a six thousand dollar display two and a half years ago yeah that apple and, still sells <laughs> yeah that apple still sells and like expensive yeah but the the rate at which this technology has come down has really astonished me in terms yeah. of the backlighting and the the local zone dimming and all of these things. Uh, I've been very impressed with it. You know, yeah. it's 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 been really cool to see this. And like Apple is really putting the pieces in place of like if you need to use Macs for like hardcore production, you totally can. And if you don't, then you just get a really nice computer, and that's yeah. great too. Yeah, and. I mean, I hope we didn't mention it earlier. I meant to get around to it in the last few weeks. We've talked a lot about the future of Apple, but well, I really hope at some point, you know, uh, assuming that the next iMac gets a screen, I hope there's also a separate um, screen. You, know, you can buy a separate monitor with the same technology for people with the with the laptops that want to get this on their desk. But yeah, I, I really like the screen. Uh, so maybe this is just me... Um, convincing myself or justifying a lot of money that I spent. But I, to me, it looks really remarkably better and sharper. And if you're listening and that's of interest to you, I would recommend probably going in and looking at one. It's kind of hard to judge them when you're looking, you know, on a screen at a screen, because, yeah. you know, the screen that you're looking at it on is only as good as it's going to get. So uh, yeah, go into a store, check them out. But um, that was Kind of the biggest surprise for me is just how much better the screen was than the existing line. How good does it feel to have MagSafe back? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Although I'm barely using it um, because I've got, I do have the, you know, fancy monitor and I plug it into the XDR and that charges it and it's plugged in almost all the time. So I don't need the MagSafe. I've I've put that in kind of my go bag, but, you know, maybe we'll talk later about what, you know, kind of overall computer strategies, but I don't really see myself taking this thing out of the house very much. I feel like for most times I leave the house, an iPad I'll just have to do, mm-hmm. but, but we'll see. 
Yeah, I'm still. I've got a USB C charger that's been at my desk, and that's nice because it can also charge an iPad. But I, I definitely had a real sense of memory when I plugged MagSafe in for the first time. So the MagSafe cable will definitely be the one I put in my bag because if I'm using the laptop out in the world, I want MagSafe yes. for all of its safety precautions that it brings. Yeah. But yeah, here in the here in the office, I mean, I've got USB C just right here. But it's really cool that you can do both. And I'm I'm glad Apple kept it that way. And because you still get one Thunderbolt port on the right-hand side, you still get the cool trick of being able to charge on either side of the notebook, which is fantastic, especially like in your situation, if you're using it with a display. Yeah. It it gives you more freedom in how you have your desk set up. I had like all these dongles to make everything work before, and now they're all gone. The only dongle I'm using at this point is an Ethernet dongle, you know, just to get Ethernet in. But it's uh, it's great, and and the MagSafe they have the little LED on it, which I thought was one of the best features because it's yellow when it's charging, it's green when it's charged. Just in an yep. instant, you would know whether your battery was charged or not. Mm-hmm. And they brought that back too. I yeah. mean, they they really just nailed it with the the charging on this notebook, and you can fast charge if you've got the the big brick, uh, which yeah. is which is cool. Um, yeah, I've just, I've been impressed. I haven't done, I mean, hardly anything in terms of battery usage because it's been at my desk, but, uh, you wrote a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I used it all day yesterday off battery just to see, you know, I was working at the kitchen table and, um, and it was fine. I was doing render tests. I mean, one of the things that's come out is that Apple has not throttled it when you're doing renders off battery. And that has something to do with the fact that, the Apple Silicon is so power efficient, you know, it, I mean, there's two things that are being measured about this chip. It's like, how fast is it compared to the com- competition? And it, you know, the high end competition, it's about as fast as the high end competition. I think it's faster than a lot and probably slower than some. But the other thing you measure is how much power does it consume to be that fast? And that's where it's just like taking the pants off everybody. I mean, the, the power consumption is so low. That's why you're able to get a whole day out the battery, even when you're doing a bunch of video renders. Right. I mean, I didn't do anything scientific. I just wanted to say, in a typical day of usage for me, how well would I do? And I had like, you know, 25% battery at the end of the day. And that included quite a bit of video renders because I just wanted to, I did more of that yesterday than I would normally do, I think, because, you know, the new machine. But I also did a lot of web browsing and writing and just basic computing. And again, it can do both really well (laughs) and it approaches those tasks differently which is so cool and the other thing that's interesting about this is like even though it is this big beefy machine it doesn't get particularly hot at least in my usage and the only time i heard the fans i'm sure they were going more than this but i heard them i did a long 4k render and it's they started up you could hear them for that but i didn't hear them any other time during the day just like you know the 13 inch macbook pro where it has a fan that you never hear I have a feeling you're not going to hear the fans a lot with this machine either, unless you're like really taxing it. Yeah. Which again, it's kind of the best of the M1 world, but yeah. with all this power. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that stood out for me that I was a little shocked is I put an SD card in it and the SD slot is very shallow. I didn't, it is. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It feels like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like a, it just i guess there's just not a lot of room in there um so we were talking about the possibility of third party um uh 
markets coming together with like flush mount SD cards to put in there to get extra storage. I guess they could do that because micro SD is pretty small and you can put a lot on it. But but those guys are going to have a little bit of a challenge because that is not a very deep slot. No, it's not. I mean, if you, uh, I think at this point we still haven't seen like full take aparts from you know iFixit and those type of people, but my guess is that that thing is extremely dense inside. And so there's yeah. only so far that it can, uh, that it can go in. Yeah. I am totally in the honeymoon period with this computer right now. It's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, we asked last year what happens when they make one of these Apple Silicon Macs, not for efficiency, but for power. And this is the answer or at least the start of it. Yeah. And like we said, we will see this in the iMac and, and other places, I think, over the next year. But so far, I'm extremely impressed with their high-end offering. Extremely impressed. Yeah. Yeah. And so my setup now is this MacBook Pro attached to my monitor or kind of floating around my house. I've got a couple trips planned next year. I'm, it, you know, I haven't decided yet whether I'll take it or not with me. It kind of just depends on what's going on. A lot of times, like I'm not going to be doing recording screencasts on vacation or podcasts if I can plan it right. So, you know, there's a good chance this is primarily going to be my workstation at my headquarters, which happens to be my house. (laughs) But even like going to meetings and client stuff, I could probably get by with iPad. I I know we'll see. I mean, the um, but for now, at least that's that's my plan. Yeah, you know, for, for me, I'm staying the course as well with my Mac Pro as my desktop. The notebook being the machine I use when I'm not at my desk, whether that be in the house, someplace else in the studio, or, you know, traveling again next year. So uh, I'm excited about it. I'm I'm really pleased. And I think that I don't have anything to complain about. Like, it, it is really, you really impressive. It's not too heavy for you? Not too big and heavy? No. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even talk about the notch. It's fine. Totally yeah, you fine. know, that's funny that we didn't mention the notch. I, I really think that um, it just doesn't, I think it's kind of a non-issue. Yep, totally agree. Totally, It's totally fine. I'm running bartender, and it fixes it, and it's fine. How are you fixing it with bartender? Oh, because you just removed the number of, of menu of bar items. Yeah, so I've got fewer things visible all the time, and then I use the option in Bartender to show a separate bar. Yeah, below the menu bar. Below the menu bar. And then that's where, you know, the crowd of third-party Mac utilities that we all love so much, that's where they're all hanging out now. And it totally clears it, and it's it's been fine. Um, I don't even think I've come across... I don't even think Logic did that. I need to double-check that. But I don't think I've come across an app that even splits its menu bar items on either side of it. I really enjoy hiding my mouse behind the notch, and I'm not sure why. It's like a fidget thing for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of weird that it's like it's back there. Like Let's maybe see. remember like the moose. Remember the moose. What was his name? The old Mac OS, or maybe oh, I know what you're talking you? about, but it's a little before my time. Anyway, I forget his name, but there's a cute little moose and he'd show up and talk to you. Maybe we should have a thing where like when you put the the pointer behind yeah. the notch, like a little mouse icon shows up and says, I'm hiding. Yeah. Come find me. He was just called the talking moose. Yeah. 
I found a, I found a story from 2001 about that. I like that, the talking moose. Miss it. Down the show notes. <laughs> He's like, and I, I'll tell you one thing. If the talking moose and Clippy got in a bar fight, the moose would have killed him. I mean, <laughs> the moose, he wouldn't have taken any of it, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> He'd have wrapped the best that little clip up. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I think we're giving these things the uh, old MPU thumbs up, it sounds like. All right. Yeah. A, uh, a, but the one point I do want to make for listeners is consider what you use them for. Like, it is a lot of computer. And if you're not using them for a lot of computing, I just can't emphasize enough. Like, I, I, you're not going to see this performance increase in web browsing and email. Yeah. So if that's what you do just decide whether or not you want to pay extra for the screen. And if you do get the minimum build with the, the amount of storage you need. Totally agree. Real quick, before we go, I want to tell you about another show here on relay FM and that is conduit by our friends, Jay and Kathy, a couple of great episodes to get started with are when you can't even or odd, which covers how to be productive, even when you're stressed out and our systems, where Jay and Kathy talk about their own brands of productivity and what their personal systems look like. This isn't apps or methodologies. They're just regular people celebrating what they can do and sharing ways that you can too. So listen now at relay.fm slash conduit or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So we are the Mac power users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. That's our little home on the internet. Thank you to our sponsors this week, smile electric and capital one. And uh, we'll see you next time.